Unlock the past and safeguard your memories with ScanMyPhotos.com. Here's our special promo code, GoDigital, to get a whopping up to 50% off your photo scanning order. Don't let your cherished moments fade away. Digitize them now with precision and care. Whether it's old slides, photos, or films, bring them into the digital age and relive those precious memories. This is an affiliate promotion, meaning we may earn a commission if you take advantage of this fantastic deal. Act fast, preserve your history, and save big with Go Digital at ScanMyPhotos.com. My guest today is Amanda Blount, and Amanda has written a really cool local history book for you know Rhode Island, but it has ramifications for how you can approach your family history and history in general. It's called Meet Me at the Biltmore, which is a big hotel here, and it's 100 years at Providence's most storied hotel. Amanda, thank you so much for joining me on The Photo Detective. Tell everyone something about yourself. Sure, absolutely. So my name is Amanda Quay Blunt. I'm from New Jersey originally. I'm not from Rhode Island, which for those who are from Rhode Island, of course, it's a very important piece of information. I love Rhode Island, though. I came here five years ago, and I just absolutely fell in love with the state and its history. And um, it's really complex and very, very interesting dynamic of everyone knowing everyone. So that's that's probably the most exciting piece for me as a writer and historian and storyteller. Yeah, I mean, you chose one of Providence's iconic buildings. I mean, this is right downtown. It it has a place in pretty much everyone in Rhode Island's family. Somebody has a Biltmore story of something they've done there or eaten there or stayed there or knew someone associated with it. So it's really cool that you did this. But I think for the purposes of the photo detective, let's talk about how you actually, I guess I could say, personalize a building, which is what you've done. You've you've done the history of it, but also set it within the context of everything. And you've done that by including stories of people. So, so tell me about your process. How how did you, I mean, I know how you started this. Your dad said something to you about this the building and you, but go ahead. Yeah, no, definitely. So it's interesting. I, my background is I have a history degree from Rutgers university, and then I have a master's degree in social work. So I think of how I approached this book and this research as a combination of those two fields. I'm really interested in history because of facts and process. And how did we get to where we are today, whether it's in our cities or towns or society or civilization, but I'm really interested in people and their stories because I believe history is really just a a fancy way of saying storytelling. We're telling the stories of the past and our past as a human species is about people and humans, or certainly our interactions with other realms, you know, environment and animals and whatnot. But I'm really fascinated by stories and people, and I'm particularly interested in telling stories that haven't been told because I think that's what makes books unique and what makes histories unique. So when I thought about how to write this book, I really thought about what stories need to be told, need to be unearthed that maybe haven't been unearthed before or haven't been told before, at least not in the context of Rhode Island history. I mean, you're talking a hundred years of this building. And you focused on, I mean, obviously the first part is all about how the hotel got started, the investors, how it got built, 
in all of that. But then you actually spend several chapters talking about individuals who were, if not significant, then colorful to the history of the building. (laughs) And I want to know, like, what sources did you use to find these stories? And what's your favorite? Absolutely. Well, I I have my favorite. Oh, I can't wait to hear. Okay, well, we'll compare our favorites. I think my favorite is a moving target because I just love all of these stories. And certainly when you write about 100 years, there are so many stories that you can't fit into the book. And I think that has just been, I couldn't write a, I didn't want to write a 900 page book, so I couldn't put everything in there. But in order to keep the book interesting and succinct, I picked some stories that I thought were really, really important to Rhode Island history, even if it wasn't the traditional political stories or union stories or stories of the same, you know, five or 10 names we hear in the history. But it was really important to me as I unearthed stories to make sure I was telling them authentically and picking stories that were representative of all different kinds of people who live in in, his, in, in the history of the state. All of my research for the most part was done through historic journal articles, Providence journal articles, I actually read 14,000 Providence Journal articles over the course of about 18 months. Because it was during the COVID-19 pandemic, I went to the Community College of Rhode Island's parking lot. And as you you may know this because you're a historian yourself, it's really hard to access archives of certain newspapers and journals. Either they're extremely expensive and you have to be a member yourself, or you have to work with institutions like these large ones called Newsbank and others that make it very, very expensive, if not completely prohibitive, to access as an individual. So unfortunately, the public public libraries in Rhode Island don't have access to the their own archives for the Providence Journal, but the community college does. So I was able to go to CCRI during 2020 and 2021 when I did the bulk of my research. I sat in their parking lot because their building was closed like every other building, and I downloaded PDFs of newspapers from 1920 to 2022, one by one. And then I went through and searched for the word Biltmore in each of those volumes. And as I did that, I let the story tell itself. I followed the thread of history through these journal articles. And when I noticed a name that kept coming up again and again, I said to myself, this person deserves a little more time and research. So I ended up having lots and lots of story threads that I pieced together that way. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some key figures in the history of the building, including a former mayor. There are lots of former mayors in the history of the Biltmore, but there is one in particular that I believe, I mean, speaking of Buddy Cianci, I mean, he was one of those folks that I thought to myself, I'm not qualified to tell that story. And that story has been told. The story of Buddy CNC is just a tremendously interesting story, regardless of how you feel about it politically. And it's been told really well by others, including Mike Stanton in Prince of Providence, who, you know, that was then turned into a play. However, once I started reading more about Buddy CNC's involvement with the Biltmore and the fact that he was singularly, almost singularly responsible for saving it from being demolished, I said to myself, I don't need to tell Buddy's whole story, but I need to tell Buddy's story in relation to this hotel. Right, exactly. And there is a connection. He lived there. Absolutely. And he lived there. Yeah, And he absolutely. lived there for, for a while. Yeah. 
And if you're into ghost stories, you might say he still might live there. I'm still convinced if there's a ghost at the Biltmore, it might be Buddy Cianci. <laughs> Anything is possible at the Biltmore. <laughs> One of my favorites is the mystery of Betty Beeswax. Yes. Yes. So Betty is absolutely my favorite as well. In fact, when I first learned about Betty Beeswax, I felt to myself, okay, not only is there a whole book here on in and of its own, but I might stop my Biltmore research because I was so excited about my Betty research. I will say I've since started doing more research on who she may be. And there is another another author who is doing something very similar and has put out some information about that. Betty is a fabulous character and she is so typical of the times. She no one really knows the identity of Betty Beeswax. There's one person who has done some research and has an idea of who she may be, but the long and short of it is she was sort of a nobody until she got involved with public enemy number 1 at the time, Gerald Chapman, who was a tremendously fabulous bank robber in the 1920s. And and I say that Perhaps it doesn't sound like those words make sense for a bank robber, but he really was fabulous. He had a fake European accent. He called himself a count. He was only he would only wear white gloves. He was like this really just fabulous character. And she was the love of his life. They met at a restaurant and he fell in love with her. And then uh, she was with him like as his as his girlfriend when he committed the largest bank robbery in the history of the United States he buried the treasures from that robbery somewhere and then he went to jail for the crime the treasure itself was never fully uncovered and betty disappeared for many many years and then sort of wound up at the providence biltmore she was under an assumed name writing correspondences to him while he was on the lam after escaping from prison and the rest is sort of lost to history, so to speak, but it's an incredible story. And I love to think about who in Rhode Island is a descendant of Betty Beeswax once she moved here and changed her name and possibly brought all of this fortune and riches from the bank robbery with her. Never know. She might have. She definitely might have. So what other sources did you use other than newspapers to write this? I used primary sources as well. I did a lot of interviews. I interviewed former staff and current staff of the hotel. I spoke to a number of people involved with the culinary institutions in Rhode Island because the Biltmore was really central to the culinary history of the state as well. I spoke to former general managers, and I also did some interviews with folks who know a lot about hotels in general, other authors and and historians, because I found that to be something I had no idea was so complex, the history of hotels in general. And so it was very helpful to under, better understand their place as an institution in, in history. Mm. I want to say, you know, as a, a photo person, you've done a fabulous job, well, obviously both with the book, but also illustrating it because it can be a real challenge to illustrate something like this. And yet I there are almost... Every few pages, there are images that you were able to find, both related to the hotel, but also those that just set the context for the period of the chapter that you're writing about, like the Lindy, right? Yes. Um, bootleggers and prohibition. I, I, I like that little statement about how Rhode Island was had more alcohol than any other state during the prohibition. Yes, the wettest, the wettest state the wettest in America. State, the wettest state, the smallest state, but the wettest state. Somehow yes. not surprised 
too much yes, about Providence that. had more saloons per capita than any other city in America during Prohibition when they were banned. <laughs> <laughs> anything you, I mean, this is a new topic for you, but is there anything that you found that was particularly surprising? Yeah, I, I was very surprised throughout the book. I think, again, not to harp on how many stories there are that make up the history of a building, but I was surprised at how many really fascinating individuals who were all over the front page of the Providence Journal in the 20s and 30s and 40s and even into the 50s were names I had never heard before and names that I don't hear regularly and names that I seem to have been the only person who's ever written about them. Some of these are people like Duty Flint, who's who's peppered throughout the book, his story, um, Walter O'Hara and, and his wife. Some of these folks who were really leading individuals in society at the time, Henrietta Gibson, another one, and Emma and Beta Wolf, her husband, her parents rather, these were just the highest of high society during their time and had rather tragic and sometimes confusing or mysterious undoings at the end of their lives. And I was shocked that I had never heard of them before, even though I felt that I had read so many books about Rhode Island history in order to get me to writing my own. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you think about a hundred years of a hotel, thousands and thousands of people would have stayed there in that hundred years. And, And yet some, as you mentioned, repeat again and again in the paper because of their notoriety for one reason or another, either wealth or criminal paths, which Rhode yes. Island is full of, the guest, the ghosts at the Biltmore. And yeah, then you- I included one. I included one ghost story. When I when I thought about ghost stories, I'm not I'm not really into the paranormal storytelling and seeking, but I will say that I felt that it was probably important to take a peek at some of these tales that have been told about the Biltmore. Because when you use Google and you look up the Biltmore in Providence, the first things you see are all of the ghost stories or haunted hotel or this or that. I felt that it was important in the telling of the history to do my best to either verify or dispel facts that have been put forward or quote unquote facts that have been put forward about the hotel that may or may not be true, but that were contributing to local lore. I certainly didn't want to spoil anybody's, you know, entertainment. And I did feel that there were enough situations that people had been telling in walking tours and on on sites online and whatnot over and over that I thought, hey, this is might be a good, good time to see if any of these are accurate. And some of them are such great stories. I was sort of hoping that they would be because, you know, one of them is that part of the early beginnings of the hotel were funded by a satanic cult and like all of these things. And I thought, hey, that that would be fascinating if it were true, like, you know. And so I did do some research to try to see if these things were true. I didn't find much merit to most of the stories, but I included one chapter in the book that if there's a ghost at the Biltmore, here's a story that sort of, that something happened at the hotel that aligns with the story that's being told. So I did include that. That's the woman at the window. The woman at the window. So what's the story? So what I've heard on many online sites and from paranormal activity people online and whatnot was that many hotel guests have reported that they've opened their window shade at the hotel and they've seen a body fly by the window as if someone had just jumped out of a window above theirs. 
Uh, I have heard this from hotel staff in my interviews as well, that this these reports have happened where guests have called down to the front desk and said, I just saw someone jump or fall. The uh, local lore is that this was a banker during the Great Depression or during the Great Stock Market Crash and that, you know, he threw himself off the top of the building. I couldn't find a record. I, I did go through the journal and I did try to access some historic police records. I did not find any information about a suicide at the hotel at that time. However, there was a suicide at the hotel in the 1940s. It was unfortunately a young mother who was very troubled, who had come down from Boston to be at Butler Hospital for a psychiatric inpatient visit. Um, and she had left Butler Hospital and checked into the Biltmore and took it her own life. It was very gruesome, as one can imagine, when you jump out of a window and land on Eddy Street. But it is in the exact location of the hotel where some of this paranormal activity mm. people have stated seeing a body by the window. So I said, well, if it's possible, here's my two cents on what it could be from a historical perspective. If it's a real poor thing, she just repeats her demise over and over, over again. Over and over. I know it sounds horrible. And again, I'm really not one for ghost stories because the way I, again, my social work hat on, I think of ghost stories also as the very tragic stories of people's dis, you know, ancestors and family members. But I also recognize that for some folks, it's really wonderful entertainment and they like to think about it. So yeah, I tried you got to go, gotta go with it. Yeah. So the Billmore opened in 1922. And then mm -hmm. when did it close? So the Billmore was open right from 22 until 1975. It closed because it was essentially run into the ground. The headline in the paper on the day that it closed said debt ridden Biltmore closes abruptly. What? essentially happened was that it was owned by the Sheraton Corporation from 1947 until the early 70s. And its uh, parent company, Sheraton's parent company, sold off a bunch of its historic buildings, including the Providence Biltmore, when they consolidated and merged with a tech company in the 70s. At that time, a couple investors from New York bought the Providence Biltmore as part of a package with another couple hotels. Within a couple of years, they had actually driven all of these historic properties into the ground. They weren't paying any utility bills. They weren't keeping up any of the maintenance and the hotel closed. The reason the hotel, the Biltmore Hotel closed in Providence was because the utility companies shut off power and water and heat to the building. And so essentially it, they couldn't function. And then it reopens in 1979. Yep. It opened and reopened in 79. It had been fully renovated. So as we were talking about Buddy Cianci before, he had recently become mayor of the city when the Biltmore closed. And he had actually was being sworn in in January of 1975, the day that they were wheeling the grand piano out of the front door of the Biltmore. And he was sort of giving his speech and could see the piano <laughs> being wheeled out. And it was very troubling for him. He loved the Biltmore. He had spent a lot of time schmoozing there. He had had campaign rallies there. He spent a lot of time drinking there. Um, so he felt very, very attached to the hotel. And he vowed actually that day to save the hotel. He partnered with Bruce Sundlin and Michael Metcalf and a couple of folks from Textron to create a group called the 21st Providence Group. And this group set about to access federal funding for renovations for historic buildings in Providence, including the Biltmore. They were able to do that. They purchased the building, renovated it, and reopened it five years later. Mm -hmm. In 1979. Yeah. 
with the elevator. So that was when the glass elevator was installed. Was added, right, which gives you a view of the city as you go up it. The Billmore, in the context of other hotels in Providence, I mean, there were some really spectacular hotels in Providence. There was the Crown Hotel, one of my favorites, but also the Narragansett Hotel, which had a long history. But I think, you know, the Biltmore somehow captured people's imagination the way the other two did not. Yeah, the Biltmore was the first true luxury hotel in Providence at a time when, in the 1920s, when luxury hotels were everything to everybody. Every major city wanted to have the best hotel in the world. And hotels were sprouting up like weeds around America. Hotels in and of themselves are uniquely American by design. They are, the the luxury hotel was really innovated in the United States because of the expansion of the railway across the the states. And Providence in 1920, when the conversation for building a hotel began, was the leader in the industrialized world for all imports and exports. It was rivaled only by Philadelphia, really, and, and some parts of Chicago and Detroit, depending on what the goods were. Everyone who was anyone was in Providence for some reason at some time during that year. And because of that, there was a lot of enthusiasm for building the most technologically advanced and beautiful and luxurious hotel in America. And on the day it opened, it was arguably that. So did they give you a tour of the hotel? Did you get an insider tour at least? I I did get a couple tours of the hotel. And I also got probably more excited about I got access to the hotel's archives They don't have extensive archives of their own, but they have been able over the years. And actually, this is a testament to the staff of the hotel, not necessarily the management, because management has changed a lot over the years, but the staff have stayed. So there are staff members at the Biltmore who have been there for 30 and 40 and 50 years, and their parents and their family members worked at the Biltmore. It's a real family establishment. And those are the people who have saved the China and the silver, and the serving platters, and the old photos, and the old menus, and calling cards, and pieces of mail. And they've just sort of put them away in the basement in boxes and hoped that they didn't get thrown out. And I was privy to looking at some of those boxes and getting to pick my way through some of these uh, ephemera from past years. And it was really fabulous to have the staff involved. And they were so excited to have the story of the hotel come to life in the book. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing. I I hope you pick on another Providence iconic building for your next Thank book. You. I have some. I have a list. You yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. I would love to. I I I have to say I learned. I so saw again as I mentioned in the beginning. I'm not from Rhode Island, and there's no better way to get to know a city or a place where you move than to try to write something historical about it. Because you as you know, if the history hasn't been written, you have to figure out what the history is. I didn't have any beacons to go by. I just knew that if I started in 1920 and started reading the paper, I'd find out about this cool building. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Thank you for being on The Photo Detective. Absolutely. Well, thank you. And thanks for the work you do. It's so important and so exciting for me as a historian. So it was an honor to be here. I'm thrilled to be offering something new. Photo Investigations. These collaborative one-on-one sessions look at your family photos. You and I meet to discuss your mystery images and find out how each clue and hint might contribute to your family history. And trust me, 
These images can reveal so much in your research. I have decades of experience in the photo, genealogy, and history industries. This is your chance to learn from me and discover the stories in your family images. You can find out more by going to MaureenTaylor.com and clicking on Family Photo Investigations.